Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The text for consideration tonight from Ephesians, the second chapter, you heard it read a moment ago. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. Your friends in our Lord Jesus Christ, we've sung this land, Lamb of God, pure and holy, who on the cross did suffer ever patient and lowly, thyself to scorn didst offer. All sins thou borest for us, else had despair reigned over us. And now tonight we sing, Thy peace be with us. And we reflect upon that last line of the third verse, Thy peace be with us, O Jesus. That phrase brings to mind a slogan I'd seen recently. Maybe you've seen it too. Wage peace. The sentiment, no doubt, is a desperate plea in reaction to the way of the world. But indeed, it's the way the fallen world's always been, hasn't it? Some time ago, a statistic was published that reported that since the beginning of the recorded histories of the world's peoples, only 8% of the time has the world been at peace. In 3,521 now plus reported and recorded years, only a small fraction, only 266 of those years have been warless years. And of course, those are just counting wars between nations, not within households. More than 8,000 treaties have been pledged and broken during this time. Waging peace, it's not a very bright part of our track record, is it? That slogan, wage peace, rather suggests that by sheer human determination and goodwill, swords indeed can be reshaped into plowshares. If we just try hard enough and by our own self-embrace, the world will be at peace. If indeed that's what the slogan's meant to say, then then the slogan, then 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 the thought and the idea is a fallacy that confounds generation upon generation from Aristotle's to Thomas Jefferson's to John Lennon's and our own. As we all might imagine, nothing to kill or die for, no religion to... And we might imagine all the people living life in peace. It's wishful thinking, but really? And there's a reason that it's only been imagined. See, we're a people ever at war, whether across oceans or within continents or within our neighborhoods or within our households. We're a people ever at war because by nature we're a people of war. You can imagine it any other way you'd like. That's exactly what Scripture says of us. It says that all human hostilities, especially and chiefly our hostility toward God, all human hostilities begin with sin. Isaiah says it. Your sins, he says, you've heard it many times, have separated you from your God. There's division there. Distance between us and God and how quickly it it impacts our relationship with others. How quickly was it after the fall into sin that Adam blamed his wife and God. And so distance became, separation became part of life between man and God, between man and his fellow man. There's division and distance. 
Paul says, the fleshly or natural mind is enmity against God. Enmity is a condition of active hatred and hostility. The natural mind is enmity against God. Not at all a neutral term. And you can picture it, can't you, in your mind? Can you picture in your mind what a raging and a hostile thing sin is? It helps explain the sometimes it would seem unprovoked vitriol against God. We're not simply indifferent to Him. We're not neutral at birth. Not neutral in our position in relation to God. Or even our disposition toward Him. Or away from Him. As if we were able to weigh the options and then choose whether we want to decide with God or not. Not at all. But from the outset, we're at hostile odds with God. And if the main relationship with God has been severed so that man is far off, as our text says, from him and and hostile to him, then certainly is it any wonder that we as entire peoples or as individual persons would be at odds with each other? Nation rises against nation, husband against wife, brother against brother. And the United Nations and the League of Nations and marriage and family counselors and ceasefires and called truces of every kind inevitably are left unable to wage the kind of peace that's going to last in this world. Wars begin in human hearts. Hearts naturally are hostile. And the evidence, look around, the evidence is all around us. The scorched earth and the burned bridges of our lives and the slain multitude of the conciliatory gestures of others so often and coldly cut down by our words, all of it left in the wake strewn across life's battlefields, the great walls of separation and fortifications that we erect between us and others, evidence all around you, more evidence. How about the uneasiness you might feel, not because you're on the war path per se, but maybe because someone else's intentions toward you are anything but peaceful intentions. More evidence. How about the disdain in which God's Christ is held. Well, we saw that reflected in the Passion reading tonight. They mocked him. They crucified him. But friends, it's a disdain that we see in our own lives whenever we, with thoughtful intention, would sin and so crucify Christ anew. Evidence all around If we didn't have all the battle wounds to prove it to ourselves, then still we'd have scripture to declare it to us that we're a race whose sin has divided us not only from each other, but more has drawn the battle lines with God and placed us so far from him. What a terrible, terrible condition in which to be. All we're left to say is have mercy on us, O Jesus. 
He has. He has. You wouldn't expect that one's enemy would be his best friend. But God never wanted war with man. That's why Christ came, so that, as the text says, you who once were far off would be brought near by the blood of Christ. Elsewhere in Scripture it said this way, God was in Christ, Jesus on the cross, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, reconciling, bringing two parties which were at odds together again. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not counting our trespasses against us. It's a truth I know you've heard perhaps countless times, but it's a truth which never, ever can grow old in the ears of those once far off. A truth which can only grow old if, in all eternity, if it could ever cease to apply to you. But it can't. It won't. Let it never grow old in your ears. I mentioned a minute ago the word reconciled. Interestingly, in our text, Paul uses a word that the Sunday morning Bible class has become rather familiar with in recent weeks in our study of Colossians. Paul uses the, the Greek word apokatalasa. It's a word that it means more than just reconciled. It's a word that means fully and completely reconciled, leaving nothing in your mind to think that there might be more to reconcile fully and completely reconciled, Paul writes, to God in the one body of Jesus Christ, who he says, and picture it, who has slain the hostility. Christ, with his death, has killed the hostility between us and God. What a thought. In ancient Hebrew thought, that's what the term peace meant and reflected complete harmony between one and another in this case between God and you it's no wonder then that scripture says what it does comfort yes comfort my people says your God speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare with whom with God that her warfare is over it's ended that her iniquity is pardoned. That's the peace that was won for you by the blood of Christ on his cross. And it's that peace that Christ himself delivers to you through his means of grace. It's why God's word and sacraments come to you as they so often, indeed I would say always do, couched with the words of peace. Do you ever notice it? Sermons. Sermons which bear the report of Christ fully reconciling you to God. Sermons so often near always begin with the phrase grace, mercy, and peace to you. For as Paul said in our reading tonight, he came and he preached peace to you. And certainly he still does. After then, you, his reconciled people, on a typical Sunday have heard the, the report. And as you then stand in the, mid, in the context of the service, you then stand ready to receive Christ himself in the Holy Supper. What's said to you as the, the elements have been prepared for you? 
the peace of the Lord, the pastor turns. After consecrating the elements, the peace of the Lord, he says, the peace that's enwrapped in these elements, the peace of the Lord be with you always, he says. And then soon after that, having come to the table and received Christ in the meal, soon after that you're dismissed from the Lord's table, at which, at which table Christ draws, mind you, nearer to you than anywhere else on earth in his flesh and blood to forgive your sins. And then you're, you're dismissed from that table with the assurance that you can, what, depart in peace. Fully reconciled to God, at God, and then soon after you're dismissed from this place. God having drawn near to you and to me, we who deserve to be so far off, yet we're dismissed from this place with the confirmation that the Lord has and he will lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. You see, peace for us by the blood of his cross, peace to us by his means of grace. How could we then, how could we then who were far off but have been brought near by Christ, how could we then not be impelled to make peace between us where peace can be made with others? Perhaps a wall of separation has been erected stone by stone, word by word, between you and, and someone else. And it's a sturdy wall. It's a proud wall. A wall that, that will begin to be dismantled if and only if the one on the other side takes the first step. And he begins the peace talks and the negotiations. It's a good thing that God didn't wait for us to come to that table. Didn't our reading today say he has made both? Paul was talking about there Jews and Gentiles, but he, he has made both one. And has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, thus making peace. Does he not do it also with us, for us? Peace for us by the blood of his cross. Peace to us and with us through the means of his grace. Peace now between us, his people, who pray as he did that we might be one in every respect. And then peace he leaves with us too. That's a peace before us and a peace behind us, a peace beneath us. Beneath us in life's conflicts that rage on until this life's end. You see, sometimes we imagine that peace means the absence of all conflicts. That's not necessarily the case. It does, though, mean security. Security amid all conflict. It means knowing that Christ goes before us and that he is our rear guard behind us and that he is the security that we need beneath us. It reminds me of two artists who some time ago set out artistically and graphically to paint peace, a concept of peace. Well, the first painted on his canvas a carefree boy, you can picture it, I'm sure, a carefree boy sitting in a boat on a little placid lake without as much as a ripple to disturb the surface, the glassy surface of the water. Well, that is one kind of peace. But we don't know that kind of peace here below. The other artist in painting peace painted a raging, 
waterfall, with winds whipping the spray all about, and on a limb overhanging the swirling, churning water below, a little bird had built its nest and sat peacefully there brooding her eggs while the waters rushed and they raged. There will be tribulation in the world. You know who said that. The one who once slept in the stern of the boat as the wind and the waves howled and pitched all about him. Jesus said there will be tribulations in this world, but then he said this, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Recall that tonight. Recall that tonight when you lay your head down to rest. Recall that you've been reconciled completely to God, brought near to Him by the blood of Christ Jesus. Recall that tonight He's delivered that peace to you through a word that can't be shaken from a pulpit built to preach that peace to you. Recall that He's done the real work in demolishing the dividing walls that have stood between us. Recall it all. Recall tonight as you lay down your head to sleep. Recall it even if it should be your last night that you lay down your head to sleep. Recall that whatever rages before you or behind you or beneath you, recall with the psalmist tonight that you too can both lie down and sleep in peace. For you alone, O Lord, make us to dwell in safety. That peace, thy peace, ever be with us. Oh, Jesus.